Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast on autoimmune and immune-mediated conditions, brought to you by Janssen UK. Now, my name is Claudia Hammond and I'm an author and broadcaster specialising in health and psychology. And I'm really pleased to be here to discuss these conditions where the immune system has gone wrong in some way. There is no doubt that the impact on people's lives can be huge, but that there are things people can do to make a difference. So the idea of this series is that over the next six episodes, we'll be hearing firsthand from people who know just what it's like to live with these conditions. And we'll discuss everything from how best to navigate the health system to how to manage life with a condition. So whether you have a condition yourself or a friend or relative does, or maybe you're a doctor or just interested, then there is something here for you. Our partners are six patient organisations and in each episode I'm joined by people from two of them. And today my guests are Dominic Ermston from the Psoriasis Association and Claire Jacklin from the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. Hello, how are you Dom? I'm very well, thank you Claudia. And Claire, how are you? I'm feeling fine, thank you Claudia. Well, today we're going to be talking about mental health in particular and about talking to friends, family and employers about it. But before we do, let's find out more about what you two do. So, Dom, what does the Psoriasis Association do? So we support people who are living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Um, We do that by providing information on psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis and treatments. We also fund research into both conditions and we raise awareness amongst the general public, healthcare professionals and policymakers. And what's your role there? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? So I'm patient advocacy and communications manager. So that has two strands. On one count, I look at the things that people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are talking about, the issues they have in day-to-day life, and try and bring those to the attention of healthcare professionals and policymakers. And then secondly, I oversee our communications here. So primarily the website and our social media offering. And Claire, you're from the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. Can you tell us what you do and a little bit more about your organisation? Yes, well, the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society, or NRAS for short, is the only patient organisation that focuses specifically on rheumatoid arthritis and juvenile idiopathic arthritis, both forms of inflammatory arthritis. And we're really there to raise awareness of these conditions as well as support those living with rheumatoid and juvenile arthritis and their healthcare professionals. Now, this podcast is all about autoimmune and immune-mediated conditions, and so there is quite a lot of terminology here. Claire, what do those actually mean? Right, and of course, this really came to light during the beginning of the COVID pandemic when we were talking about autoimmune, immune-mediated, immunosuppressed immunomodulated and it was rather confusing for people but to be very basic and in lay terms an autoimmune condition is where your immune system goes a bit bonkers and starts attacking your body in different ways where your immune system should be there to protect you against infections sometimes it just goes a bit haywire and it makes you more susceptible to developing different conditions and and has different symptoms. When we talk about immune-mediated, immunosuppressed or immune-modulated, that's more to do with the treatments for conditions that dampen down your immune response. As I said, very lay terms, but that's really 
hopefully clarifies some of those terminologies. So, Dom, with something like psoriasis, how does your immune system going wrong, in a way, result in you developing psoriasis? So the immune system is overactive. And so that leads to greater levels of inflammation. That inflammation causes a buildup of skin cells on the surface of the skin, which forms the psoriatic plaques that you associate with psoriasis. So the raised areas of white or silvery scale over red or darkened skin. And there's also another condition closely associated with psoriasis called psoriatic arthritis, which is an inflammatory arthritis. The same pathways are at work in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, but psoriatic arthritis causes symptoms in the joints. So swelling and stiffness and pain in the joints, such as the the base of the back, the knees and the, the hands and the feet, the fingers and the toes. And so these can be very tough conditions to live with. And we're going to look in more detail at the impact that they can have on a person's mental health. And we're going to hear from one person called Joel in a moment about his experiences. But before we do, Claire, in your work, what issues do people tend to raise with your organisation regarding their mental health? Well, often it's to do with the lack of awareness of the condition. And I often feel it's other people's reaction to somebody's inflammatory arthritis that is the most debilitating. The lack of of sensitivity, dismissing it as, oh, it's just a few achy joints, you know, what's the big deal? But certainly inflammatory arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, being an autoimmune condition, it doesn't just affect the joints. And so it's a very invisible condition. And then, you know, people's attitudes to it they feel they're they're being accused of faking it sometimes or the attitudes of colleagues or employers towards somebody saying well like I've just got this awful fatigue and it does it starts to diminish the person and they feel they're not taken seriously that can really cause a huge amount of anxiety and worry because they're constantly thinking what will other people think of me Dom, can you relate to that when it comes to the conditions that that you look at? Absolutely. In psoriatic arthritis in particular, I think there are very similar factors. The fact that people cannot always see the symptoms, people cannot always see what's causing the person pain, discomfort or mobility issues. So you may look like a perfectly healthy individual to other people, and yet you could be dealing with chronic pain, which can hamper your mobility and impair your ability to do day-to-day things. With psoriasis, psoriasis has its own issues around the visibility of the condition. It's almost flipped around in the sense that psoriasis is a very visible condition, or at least it can be depending on where it presents on the body. If it presents on areas such as the face, hands or the scalp, it can be very difficult to hide. And because it's visible, then it can often cause a reaction from people who don't necessarily have an understanding of what the condition is. There can be misconceptions around the idea that psoriasis is contagious, which it's absolutely not. But as a result of this, it can lead to a difficult stigma for people who are living with the condition. And they also, unfortunately, have to deal with insensitive comments, stares, which can then contribute to mental health problems, problems around body image, uh, how people view themselves, how people believe others view them, which can spiral and in some cases cause depression, anxiety and social isolation. Well, I want us to hear now from Joel, who was diagnosed with psoriasis and juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And he's kindly told us about how having these conditions has affected his mental health. I've always had 
a link between my mental health or mood and my psoriasis, and that's for a number of reasons. One, I think because it wasn't treated as a priority compared to my pre-existing condition. It kind of meant that I inherited that this view that my psoriasis wasn't important or it was just this rash that we needed to get to the bottom of. Um, and it wasn't until I was much older that I, I realised every time I had an outbreak, my mood would drop. I think a lot of that was not so much... Obviously, there's a visible element to psoriasis. For me, it was more what people couldn't see because even when I had rashes that you could cover up with clothing or whatever. I knew that they were there. And just by the process of me knowing it was there, it affected my confidence and my self-esteem and the way I viewed myself. I found myself looking at myself in the mirror and thinking I was fatter when I was having a psoriasis flare because it distorted my self-image. Um, so for me, uh, a lot of the way it made me feel was just knowing it was there as much as how visible the rashes themselves were. So when my psoriasis had its first major outbreak, I suppose, you know, as a teenager, but also in, in my mid-20s when it really got out of control, I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't know how to talk to anyone. I think, you know, partly because for a long while I didn't know what I was dealing with or because it wasn't sort of like treated with the same level as my pre-existing arthritis. I, I didn't know how to start that conversation. I literally went most of my life actively hiding it. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that because it's important to communicate that because there are other people who will feel that pressure or, or, or take that route that I did. And it was only becoming a father that I completely changed direction and started sharing my experiences to be a better role model, if, if nothing else, I guess. But it was also because at that time, mentally, I was really struggling and it was kind of, I had my doctor and my wife and lots of people saying you need to write it down or talk about it or get yourself an outlet. And I found by getting an outlet, it was like opening the floodgates. And then all of a sudden, I realised the value of, of sharing my experiences and, and wish I'd have done it years earlier. Well, thank you to Joel for sharing that with us. Now, of course, everyone's experience is different. But Dom, are there things that Joel has said there that resonate with what people tell you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think... One thing I found very interesting about Joel's experience is that he mentioned how his psoriasis when he was first diagnosed, which was when he was a lot younger, was uh, kind of trivialised in the way it was communicated to him. And I, I think, unfortunately, that is something we hear too often. Psoriasis, while it impacts different people to different extents and it waxes and wanes over the course of a lifetime, it can be a serious condition. It's a chronic condition for which there's no cure. So it is something that you have to learn to manage over the course of your life. And so I think the way in which it's presented to you when you're first diagnosed is really important because it can shape your attitudes and understanding of the condition as you go through your life. So I think it's important that an accurate representation of the condition is given at first diagnosis, along with signposting to good sources of support. The second thing I picked up on is that Joel mentioned about how sharing, when he found the confidence to share, to talk, then it really helped him and he wished he'd done it earlier. And I, again, I think that's something from the people that, that we speak to at the Psoriasis Association. We know it can be really difficult to talk about the impact a condition like psoriasis has on your life. You may not know anybody else in your day-to-day -day life that has psoriasis, so it can feel very isolating. But Using the options that are available these days through supportive communities and places like social media, forums, there are ways that you can open up and share. And I think for a lot of people that can be really, really cathartic. Claire, I wonder what you made of what Joel had to say. 
Well, it really resonated that anybody being given a diagnosis like this needs to have that opportunity quite early on in their diagnosis to talk about it, to help them come to terms of it. I mean, acceptance doesn't mean you're happy about a condition, but it does help you put things in perspective. But the element where he said about talking, when he was given that opportunity to let it out, it was opening the floodgate. I think a lot of people do just think, well, I must be the only one feeling like this. Nobody else seems to be. So I just need to you know, suck it up and get on with it. And what we find is when people are put in touch with other people, they have that peer support of other people with lived experiences, it begins to normalize and legitimize what they're going through and what they're feeling. And that can be incredibly powerful. I mean, we've done various surveys over the years about the impact of these conditions on their lives. And for those with inflammatory arthritis, that they really do struggle um, with life satisfaction and feeling that they're not able to contribute as much to, to society, to their families. So it's the talking and it's the sharing of life experiences that can really make that big difference. And the other thing I picked up on, on Joel's conversation was how unpredictable the condition is. You never know really when it's going to raise its ugly head. All these conditions really have flaring and can really come out of the woodwork when you least expect it. And that can be damaging because it it restricts your ability to plan what you want to do with your life. And that itself can be draining and cause, you know, it's self-exacerbating. It causes the anxiety and worry. Yes, and sometimes that can all come out of the blue just at the wrong moment as well. And so it can clearly be very difficult. Now, it's often the case that friends and family want to help, but aren't sure how to. Claire, how would you say that family or or friends can best help? What should they try and do? It comes down to the listening. But again, it's really hard for the family because the person doesn't want to be constantly talking about their condition. They may feel that there's times, and again, the fluctuation of the condition, there could be a day where the person with the autoimmune condition is feeling great. They can go out for a nice 10 mile hike with their family. And then the next day, they might not be able to lift a saucepan or put the rubbish out of the house. And for a spouse, a son, a daughter, a partner to know well, you know, it's like walking a tightrope um, with that person with the inflammatory condition or the autoimmune condition uh, to know when do I offer to help and when do I not offer to help? You know, sometimes constantly overwhelming them, going, no, 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 let me do that. I can do this for you. It, it diminishes them. And then they're like, no, leave me do it when I can do it. But because of these conditions being so unpredictable, it can be really tricky for families and it can cause big issues within families and with friendships you know if they're constantly having to cancel going out for a social evening because of the fatigue that comes along with these conditions as well but it's keeping those communication channels open talk talk and talk some more <laughs> and and dom it, is there a good way of doing that if you are worried about somebody that you're supporting because they seem to be struggling with their mental health. How can you open up a dialogue? How do you keep those communication channels open? I think it's important in these circumstances to 
attempt to open up a dialogue. That's what I would say at first. So it can be difficult when you want to talk to somebody about their mental health. It can be difficult to know how to start a conversation. And for a lot of us, you know, that can lead to our own avoidance because you don't know how to start the conversation. So you never have it. If in doubt, I think just something simple like asking how the person is, asking how their day was, it can be really helpful because sometimes people do want to talk and have things to say, but until somebody asks them, they don't feel empowered to volunteer that information. So the floodgates can open and before you know it, that can do the person a whole world of good because they're able to talk openly to somebody who's actually taken the time to ask. Then on the basis of, of what they say, then just... For you as somebody who's supporting an individual, knowing what mental health support is out there can be helpful for you too. And again, that's uh, charity helplines, bespoke services available for mental health, um, but also encouraging the individual to reach out to their doctor if necessary. Because again, a lot of the time, I think when it's something that's not necessarily a, a physical ailment, then we feel like we can't go to our doctor. But mental health is so, so important. And if you are feeling particularly down or if you're feeling at breaking point, if, you, if it's having an impact on your day-to-day life and ability to function, then that is definitely something worth visiting your doctor about. Claire, can it get quite tricky in families? It can. And I, I think one of the other things that we often suggest to family members when they call us on the, the helpline, et cetera, is to, to actually listen to podcasts or, or watch videos of other people with that condition to understand and read their life stories and their experiences because while their loved one might not be able to articulate or not want to articulate what they're feeling and how they're coping, listening to other people's lived experiences might actually put things in perspective. And we've often seen that where we've brought families together and they talk to other people and they go, so that's what my wife is dealing with. That's makes sense now. So, you know, using the patient organisations and our resources to find out more about the condition from other people that live with it may actually really help open that communication. And what about when it comes to the workplace? If people do want to talk to their employer about their mental health, Claire, what kind of help is available? Well, when it comes to employment, of course, uh, for many people with these conditions, they're diagnosed in the prime of life when they're plonk in the middle of their careers so talking to an employer is really important not hiding it is a key thing because if you haven't had that open dialogue with your line manager or your HR department about your diagnosis they you know they can't necessarily put things into place to make your working life better so be open and be honest. And of course, people with these conditions are covered that they have got the protection of the Equality Act of 2010. So there is legislation um, and reasonable work adjustments can often be found. But it's far better to have that conversation early on before it becomes crisis point. If colleagues can understand, well, why can't you do that task that you did last week and you can't do it this week? There's often, you know, difficulties then arise in the workplace. And of course, when it comes to talking to health professionals, it's not always easy to talk about how you feel emotionally rather than about the condition itself and your symptoms. So let's hear now some more from Joel and what he would like to be asked by health professionals. 
So for me, with most psoriasis, rather than asking me um, what hurts, what's got worse, I think the two key questions that should be asked is, how does your psoriasis make you feel? And how is your psoriasis impacting you? If I had to give advice to patients about how to have these conversations with their doctors, then it would be just find a real world example where your condition impacted you. So if it's because of like something that happened at work or something you had to say no to, that is a perfect example and starting point to have that conversation with your doctor. And for doctors, I would say don't focus on the rash or don't focus on how it compares to what else you've seen that day or how you saw me last time because our priorities, our acceptable outcomes are unique and individual to us and they change sometimes for me on a daily basis. So don't assume because I've got less rashes than last time that mentally I'm going to be in a better place. I would encourage you to find somebody to talk to no matter on how small a level that you trust and share because for me it was the best therapy I've ever had and I had to get to a very dark place mentally before I sort of turned to that as a desperation last resort and I wish I'd done it a lot earlier start thinking about your support network find somebody you can trust to talk to and just start small so good advice there to start small and some very specific advice about telling the doctor how it's affecting your life rather than how you're doing physically Dominic what do you make of what Joel had to say I think Joel's absolutely right about the the two key questions that really you would hope that healthcare professionals would be asking as a matter of course in appointments about quality of life. We carried out some research a couple of years ago, which found that unfortunately these conversations aren't taking place, yet there is a desire from people who are living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis to be having these very conversations. And we looked at, at why this wasn't happening. And there were a couple of barriers from the healthcare professional side that came up, one of which was time during appointments. Many healthcare professionals felt they didn't have time to really address and discuss in the level of detail required the impact of the condition on the person's day-to-day life. And secondly, um, some healthcare professionals didn't feel empowered to do so because they hadn't had the required level of training and they almost felt that if they asked that, they might be opening up a Pandora's box that they don't then know how to deal with. The same research, however, also showed that the patient in this scenario often won't volunteer that information unless they're asked by the healthcare professional. So we kind of get to this impasse where really we need healthcare professionals who feel empowered and have the time to ask their patients these key questions about how does your condition impact your life and how are you feeling at every appointment. I'd also just like to pick up briefly on Joel's practical tip for patients, where he said, come up with tangible examples of where your condition impacts your life day to day. And I think that's an excellent advice. Um, One thing I'd also add is I think when you know you've got an appointment coming up, it might be an idea to note these sorts of things down as and when you come across them in your day to day life so that you're prepared for your appointment, because having to recall them on the spot can be quite difficult. So I think, yeah, uh, preparing for appointments as best you can and having those tangible examples in advance can be very helpful when it comes to really communicating the full impact of your condition to your healthcare professional. Some good tips there. Claire, what did you make of what Joel had to say? Yeah, and I echo what Dom has just said there as well. And to be fair, healthcare professionals don't dismiss psychological well-being because of lack of concern. 
it is rather lack of skill or lack of access to resources or having the time. But I would challenge that they haven't got the time not to. They really need to make that time. If you treat with holistic care, the whole person and not just the condition, I think we can't separate physical and mental health. You can't have really good physical health without good mental health. You can't have good mental health without good physical health. So the two really have to go hand in hand. Yeah, so mental health is so important. Dom, what other practical tips can you give us for how people can learn to cope more effectively when they have flare-ups, say? Do you have any well-being tips that people could try out? Yeah, um, as Claire said, I think it can be uh, very difficult with flare-ups because they're unpredictable in their nature. You don't know when your condition is next going to flare-up, how badly or for how long that flare-up might last. What I would say is that knowing your body, knowing your triggers, which I think is perhaps slightly easier when you've lived with a condition for longer, but you are the expert in your own body. And I think certainly with psoriasis, there are common triggers such as stress, injury to the skin. There are some lifestyle factors such as diet, alcohol intake, smoking. So if you're aware of these triggers in your personal life, there may be some lifestyle adjustments you can make that give you some level of control. Now, I'm not pretending that that's going to be a magic wand that will make your flare-up stop. But I think, as I said, it's important if you're mindful of your triggers, that psychologically to know you have some element of control can be very helpful. And secondly, I would say that if you are going through a flare-up, having a support network in place, ready for, for times of need. So that means you've got somebody you can talk to about it, whether that is your doctor, whether that's a loved one, whether that is calling a helpline, such as the one we run at the Psoriasis Association, or speaking on a forum anonymously. I think having some kind of support network, so when things are really getting on top of you, or you finding the flare-up difficult to deal with, you have someone you can talk to and get things off your chest. And Claire, if people feel they need further support with their mental health, where can they go? Where else can they look? What's available? Well, of course, the patient organisations are, are key. We can signpost. We could certainly help with a lot of the well-being side of things. I talked earlier about peer support, sometimes connecting people to people who have been there, done that, got the T-shirt, knows what it's like to live with these conditions can really reduce the feeling of isolation. But if there are serious concerns and they want to, to be referred further on, we do have a, a referral project that we can go to called the REN project, which is great, that can offer a series of counselling sessions to those with autoimmune conditions. So there is always something. I think that it's just keeping those lines of communication open. There's always more that can be supported and people need to feel that they're not alone with feeling the way that they feel. And so being able to communicate with others either over the phone, face-to-face, in virtual groups, online communities, all of that will help to just share those experiences. And Dom, we've looked today at two particular conditions as examples, but of course, this advice would apply to other autoimmune and immune-mediated conditions too, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I think the range of things, particularly that Claire has just mentioned there, pretty much everything we're discussing here is relevant across the board. The specifics might be different in terms of the symptoms that you're dealing with, but in terms of the importance of having a strong support network, having places that you can visit and access reliable information from, such as patient organisations, 
is really, really important, whichever condition you're living with. Well, thank you so much for all of that. There's some really useful advice for people there. Let me ask both of you, do you have any final tips that everyone should know about, Claire? Well, I think it's really important when you've got any condition to really understand the condition yourself. You're going to live with this for the rest of your life. Get as much knowledge and understanding because what we've often found is when people are feeling, you know, got that low mood and the fatigue that sometimes comes with these conditions, they feel it's a failure on their part or that they're just not strong enough or they're not resilient enough. But that's actually part of the condition. You know, that inflammatory process in rheumatoid arthritis is similar to that inflammatory process that you get with when you have the flu. And let's face it, anybody who's had the flu knows how miserable you can feel. So getting the disease under control will help to alleviate that some of that fatigue that can often lead to low mood that if left unchecked can easily spiral down into depression. So knowledge of the condition itself and knowing that they're not alone, I think is the key take-home messages I would like people to take from this podcast. Dom, any quick final tips from you on well-being and mental health? Just to reiterate uh, Claire's points, absolutely understanding the condition, knowing where those good sources of information and support are, and also knowing what options are available to you as an individual when it comes to mental health support. As I say, most of the patient organisations that support people living with different autoimmune immune-mediated conditions have their own helplines um, so you can seek bespoke support through them then there's your mental health charities such as mind rethink mental illness young minds calm who have bespoke services that you can contact for support there's also support available through the nhs the nhs every mind matters it's a great resource it's worth looking at and in your area there's also the IAPT scheme, uh, the Improving Access to Psychological Therapies, which is something that offers a range of different services, mental health based services, and people can self-refer. The services vary from area to area, so it's not like the, the same types of service are not always offered, but there can be things ranging from group talking to one-on-one -on -one support. And as I say, because you can self-refer, that's something that is really worth looking into if you feel you need that type of support. Well, that is all we have time for in this episode. But thank you so much to Dominic Ermston from the Psoriasis Association and Claire Jacklin from the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. And thanks to Joel as well for sharing his experiences with us. And thank you for listening. I'm Claudia Hammond and in this episode we've been discussing how to talk about mental health with friends and family and employers and in the next episode of One Immune Voice we'll be looking some more at mental health but this time how to talk to your doctors about it and when to seek professional help. Bye for now. And if you found this useful don't forget you can like, share and subscribe to One Immune Voice on whichever platform you use. One Immune Voice is a podcast series initiated and funded by Janssen UK. All participants have been reimbursed for their time. The views, information or opinions expressed during One Immune Voice are solely those of the contributors and do not represent the views of Janssen UK.
The primary purpose of One Immune Voice is to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should contact their prescribing physician if they have any concerns about their treatment.